Well, it can certainly be a challenge to maintain our faith if we don't see the point in maintaining our faith. The challenge of faith, of course, is that we're believing often in what we cannot see as defined in Hebrews 11.1. I have mentioned before that there was a time in my life when I worked as a, uh, a life insurance agent. Now you talk about a product that is a tough sell. Okay, if uh, unless someone is doing some estate planning and worrying about estate tax, and that used to be a much bigger issue uh, years ago than it is now. But the idea of you're buying something that you won't even be here to benefit from. You're buying something for someone else. And you're buying a product that, well, we're going to give you a policy. We're going to give you some papers. But it, it was a tough sell. I also sold mobile homes for a while, once upon a time. Now, you take somebody into a manufactured home, and you can show them the floor plan. You can show them the carpet. You can show them the cabinets. And uh, it, it was a whole different thing. You, know, you could take them back to the office and you could say, now here are your carpet samples and here are your, here are your other floor covering samples and you know, we can upgrade this and put finished drywall in here. And boy, you could just feature and benefit that stuff to death because it was a tangible product. When we think about our faith, how many of us know what God looks like? How many of us have heard an audible voice? Now we can argue, and I believe that we see God all around us. We see God in the goodness of other people. We see God in the majesty of His creation got up yesterday morning and saw how bright and sunny it was and immediately said, wow God, what a beautiful day you have in store for us. But we see people around us, unbelievers, and we see them prospering in many ways, at least by worldly standards. They have good jobs, have a good house, they are blessed with a family. And yet all the while, they might just be living like unbelievers. And we're reminded of that verse in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, or some translations say the just and the unjust. And then we could easily say, well now where is the fairness in all of that? And why are we called to, as the preacher reminds us so often, to live by this higher standard? This idea that saved people 
should live like saved people. That the world should be able to look at our lives and see that there is something different about us. The word holy simply means set apart. So if we're called to live as a people who are set apart from most other people in the world, but yet those other people that are not holy, that are not set apart, they often seem to be living just as good. So then it begs the question, what is the point in that? Why does God allow that to happen? Let's look at Malachi chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And so God addresses right there. He says, I have loved you. And then you call out to me and say, Well, how have you, how have you loved us? And God says, Because look at your land. Look at the land I've given you. I've given you the fertile soil. I've given you the land flowing with milk and honey. You descendants of Jacob. But oh, the descendants of Esau, they don't have land like this. Reminding them, I have given you victory over your enemies. And so God explaining to them, reminding them through Malachi's prophecy that I have loved you. You may not understand it. But let me give you perspective. Let me show you what the alternative looks like. And then picking up with verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you asked, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to the great to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands will he accept you says 
the Lord Almighty. Have you ever gone through life at some point, you're just kind of going through the motions? Preparing for this morning, I was reminded of school. Not long ago, my wife reminded me, Greg, well, let me, let me go back a little bit, give you the information as to why she would respond this way. I said, you know, I thought about going back to school. To which she said, Greg, you hate school. <laughs> She's right. I like the idea of school. I like the idea of more knowledge. And so I have an office full of books that can provide more knowledge. But then in school, you're tested on that knowledge. And they make you write papers. I don't know about you all. I don't like writing papers. Now, there are preachers out there that love writing papers. Boy, they're so good at it. Oh, I praise the Lord that I've been here nine and a half years. Not one of you have ever asked me to write you a paper. I appreciate that. I remember even back in high school, maybe for a history class, and as I like history, as I'm going to mention a little later on this morning, but I like history. But I don't like the idea of writing a paper about something that happened in history. And I remember my senior year in high school, Roger Jolly's U.S. history class at Franklin County High School. And I remember... That, pay, that paper that he assigned. And it was only three pages. By seminary standards, that's an assignment, not a paper. And so I remember, though, you know, him assigning that and having about two weeks to get ready for that. And then, of course, when did I start? Procrastinator that I am? The night before. That's right, Hayden Bass. You don't know anything about that, do you? No, no, no. And so, yeah, the night before... About 9 o'clock at night, decided it was time to write that paper before it was due the next morning. And so then comes 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and past midnight and mom asking me, what are you doing still up? Well, finishing this paper. And so you go in the next morning and boy, you feel great because you have the assignment completed. You turn in that paper and you feel good about it because it's in your hands, three pages. Man, even with, with footnotes, just like he wanted. And you turn that in and you feel so good and then a couple days later you get that paper back and it's got like a, I don't know, a C- minus on it. And you're thinking, really? A C-? minus? And then you take the time to read what you wrote. And you think, yeah, you know, if I had finished that like the day before and then taken some time to think about it, then I'd have gone back and written it better. But no, I felt good just because I had something to turn in. I had met the requirements of the assignment, except that it just wasn't that good. What was I doing, church? I was going through the motions of Mr. Jolly's U.S. history class. Now, I had over a 90 average both semesters in the class because I did like history. But what Malachi is reminding the people here is, he's reminding the priests. He said, even you, you priests, you leaders, spiritual leaders of these people, look at what you're doing. Look at how you're going through the motions. 
You're paying lip service to God. Look at the sacrifices that you're offering on the altar of the Lord. Those sacrifices that call for a good animal, an unblemished animal, and yet you're sending the lame animal to the altar, the blind animal to the altar, the diseased animal to the altar. And you really think God is going to be pleased with you? When you have something perfectly good in your flock, you have perfectly good animals to sacrifice at your disposal. Yeah, you're going to hold those back. What if you had offered that kind of animal up as a gift to one of these worldly governors? Would they have been pleased with you? Well, if you wouldn't have dared offered it to one of the world's leaders, then why would you think you could get away with offering it to God? Sometimes in our faith, we can go through the motions, can't we, church? This morning's bulletin article mentions the parable of the lost sons. And someone even questioned me, sons? Do you mean son? No, I mean sons. Because they were both lost, weren't they? One was lost in a faraway land, having squandered his father's inheritance. And one was lost right there under dad's roof. Like the person who is lost because they've never come to God in the first place. But then the person who is lost when they occupy space right there among the pews in the house of the Lord. Just being here doesn't make us the child of God that we're called to be, does it? Because sometimes in our faith we go through the motions especially when we don't see the point of our faith. Looking at chapter 2 of Malachi, when he really calls out the priests. I'm gonna, let's skip down to verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law when they would judge or when they would instruct they would judge differently or instruct differently based on who it is they're showing partiality to some people they're soft on the law where it applies to some people and then strict on the law where it applies to others and God is saying you can't do that that, you know, it's you, you preachers, who have to preach the truth. And yet you have become a stumbling block. You have led people astray. Now I have confidence that every house church facilitator tonight or tomorrow afternoon, that every Sunday school teacher this morning, 
that every Wednesday night teacher in the middle of this week are going to be people who are not leading people astray, but making their very best effort to teach the truth and to teach what is right. But church, the Israelites had problems at times. They allowed themselves to be corrupted. They allowed themselves to be influenced by the world. And the last part of Malachi I want to look at this morning is uh, chapter 3. Beginning with verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Now church, this is a reminder. Because this is written some 2,500 years ago. It's a reminder that human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. That the people back then were saying, Boy, I just don't know the benefit of following God's law. Of following these regulations. I'm just not sure that this is worth the time and the effort. And then here is God's response to that. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possessions. I will spare them. Just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. God is reminding them. When I choose to act in my time because I am the Lord your God... When I choose to act, there's going to be a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. Loving, gracious, and giving God that He is, He is still the judge when it's all said and done. And so, it's up to us, church family, to make sure that we are in right standing with God. Now, I want us to look... Over in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God 
lives how long church? forever yes everlasting life you are the everlasting God we sing to him sometimes and so we're reminded that there is a distinction God tells us between the righteous and the unrighteous so God calls us to be among the righteous God calls us to say that sexual relationship you're in that you're not supposed to be in stop doing that God calls us to say the lust that you have for things of this world working so hard and ignoring people around you just so you can have more stuff stop doing that God says those people that you gossip about because you have your own self-esteem issues because you're not drawing close to me and relying on me and you're tearing other people down and you're doing it in front of other people stop doing that live like the people that I call you to be live like the righteous God is calling us church live like people who are set apart regarding your faith it is worth it and I want you to keep going keep going one of the best things I've ever seen on television was an adaption of Stephen Ambrose's book, Band of Brothers. Came out, I don't know, uh, it's been about 20 years, I guess. It was on HBO. It was they, they took that very thick book that followed the men of Easy Company in World War II. The 506th Paratrooper Infantry Regiment, part of the 101st Airborne, the Screaming Eagles, and they trained in North Georgia at Camp Tacoa and then went to jump school at Fort Benning. And then were on a ship over to Europe. They participated in Operation Overlord, which is commonly referred to as the D-Day invasion. And this was a group of men that had the very best fitness report in the entire U.S. Army. When officers saw this fitness report from Easy Company in the 506, they said there's no way that they're that much better than everyone else in the Army. And so they made them do it again. And their times were better the second time. Like somebody doubting that someone could do that well on a test and and make them do it again and proctor them more closely only to see their score improve. And so their fitness would be put to the test. And if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, you might remember the scene where they're outside of the Belgian city of Bastogne. And it's in... 
December of 1944, January of 45. And they've got to take Bastogne, but before they take Bastogne, they've got to take the little town of Foy. It'd be like us saying, yeah, up there in Kimmins, okay? That little town outside of Hohenwald, or little community. And so there they are, taking a place called Foy. And Dick Winters, and it's all, this is all based on actual history. Lieutenant Dick Winters has been promoted to captain. He is now the company commander. And he has got a lieutenant that's really not fit for command, at least not on the battlefield. And so there they are. They've got to cover open ground before they can get to the town of Foy. And all he wants them to do is keep going. And he tells them, they're going to be firing at you. But your job is to keep going. Your job is to keep pressing forward. And when you get into the town, when you cover that distance of ground between the safety of the woods, and once you get to the town, their artillery can't come at you anymore. And once you get to the town, if you'll press forward, you'll gain the victory. And like the children of Israel, the leadership went awry for easy company. And one of these lieutenants was cracking under the pressure of battle. And so they get halfway across the open field and he tells them to stop. Good soldiers they were, they listened to their lieutenant. And Captain Winters is in the back saying, Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! And then finally they realized, We can't listen to this guy. We've got to keep going. And they kept going, church. And they gained the victory. If you go to Bastogne, Belgium today, there's a World War II museum there. There is a huge monument to the 101st Airborne for liberating them. There are even the original foxholes that Easy Company dug in those woods that are still there. They said, we're not going to fill these in. We're going to remember. We're going to remember the people who kept going. And church, that's what God is asking of us today with our faith. He's saying, if you'll keep going, if you'll keep covering the ground from what you perceive as safety across the area that you see as dangerous, what waits for you on the day that the Lord chooses to act will be a victory. A victory that was actually gained a long time ago. And we're going to celebrate it in a few weeks. Something known as the resurrection. But church family, we are called in our faith as intangible as it can seem sometimes to be a people who press on, who keep going, who are not 
influenced by the people around us who lose their faith or never share our faith to begin with. Because what they have is temporary. The last scripture I want us to look at before we close is from James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, that means hostility, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Church family... That's a promise. And we know that God does not fail to deliver on His promises. One of the promises that God makes is if we will confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if we will surrender Him to Him as Lord of our life, if we will be immersed in the watery grave of baptism, then we will experience new life that our name will be on that scroll. Our name will be in the book of life. And we gain the promise of eternity with Him. We're going to sing an invitation song in just a moment. And you have the opportunity to respond if you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism. Or if there's something else that you need to ask us to pray with you about. We're here for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing.